Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome back to another week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What do we got going on this week? Today, we have a listener question from Colby. Wonderful. Yeah. What does Colby have to say? What does he have to to ask today? Uh, yeah, let's dive right in. First of all, we love your listener questions, so keep them coming. Um, we will try to get to them as we can. Um, Colby had, um, he had two kind of questions, but we'll, we'll answer both of them today. Uh, first is, um, uh, I'm a 26 year old renter and have 7,000 left in my student loan and no other debt. Is it better to pay off my loan if I can keep paying monthly just for my credit score? I was told you always need to be paying something, but does it make sense? But it doesn't make sense to me. So that's the first component. Second component was um, his company matches a 401k. Uh, awesome. And he recently started contributing to a Roth through Betterment. Um, for a 26-year-old trying to save up for a home eventually, is it wise to start investing other mutual fund stocks, etc.? Any information on general investing is appreciated. So two good questions. Two good questions and broad questions, which is good. Yeah. Because it's fun to see how can this apply to everyone, whether they're in Colby's situation, being a 26-year-old renter or not. How yes. About this is something we can all jump into. So let's start with part one of his question. Yeah. So part one, just going back to that, Colby is 26 years old. He has 7,000 left on a student loan. And he's been told you always need to be paying something. So mm -hmm. should he keep that monthly payment and just pay the minimum amount on a student loan for the purpose of increasing a credit score? Or should he just pay it off? So yeah. even two parts within this question. The first part in regards to the credit score, we look at episode 96, we just talked about credit scores, but paying something paying the minimum on a student loan isn't really going to help your credit score that much. No. We looked at the different factors, which are the biggest factors are, are you making payments on time mm -hmm. and credit utilization? So mm -hmm. are you overextended on your debts? Right. If you're doing good in those two categories, meaning you're not missing payments and you're not overly leveraged, I mean, you're not at the max of whatever credit card you have or whatever debt you have, you're probably in a good spot. So continuing to pay the minimum payment or paying something isn't really hurting you or helping you right. in most most cases at this time. Right. So from that perspective, Kobe, you said uh, someone told you you always needed to be paying something, but it doesn't make sense to you. It, it doesn't really make sense from a credit, card, credit score perspective. You don't no. need to be doing that to maintain a good credit score. Right. Now, yep. we talked on that episode that if you do want to keep paying something, great, but it doesn't necessarily have to be debt that you have to keep paying. Yeah. I think you and I are on the same page there. So um, the other the other component that I would want to know is um, what's the interest rate on our student loan debt, right? Mm -hmm. 
uh, especially with uh, markets doing what they've done over the last period of years. Sometimes people will look at things like, oh, well, I have a really low interest rate on my debt. And so that'll be one of the questions we'll get often. Should I keep paying off that debt at a low rate or should I go invest the difference if I have, if I can make that choice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things would be, would be just like, what's that interest rate? But even then, how will you feel to have this debt paid off? Yeah. To no longer have to pay it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I think it was our very first episode that wasn't just the inter episode. So I think episode number two, this was the topic. Is mm-hmm. it better to invest or pay off debt? Right. And oddly, I think that's one of our most downloaded episodes. Oh, which nice. Now you think, I don't want to go back and listen to those first episodes. Who knows, <laughs> who knows what it was like? But I think that's a question a lot of people have. And there's the kind of the rational financial side of it, mm-hmm. which is what's going to get me a higher rate of return yep. investing or paying down debt. And then there's the non-financial side of it, which, yeah. which is what's going to make me feel better, what what's going to be better for me. A big part of that, I think on this that episode we had this conversation, was we even think a little bit differently on this. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of just momentum, and I want mm-hmm. to attack one thing and attack it really hard and mm-hmm. kind of snowball those efforts into other things. Yep. Even if financially I could get more money investing, right? my thought was, at least for me personally, I kind of like if this was me, maybe paying it down as aggressively as possible. Yep. And then having more cash flow freed up to do things like save for a house or retire or save for retirement or whatever it is. Yeah. And I happily look at that analytical side and just let myself go that direction where yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, I make more by, you know, paying this off longer and investing the the difference in other things. So I'll happily go do that. I think that's where we landed that that first episode. Yeah. Um, but for 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 Colby here, I think the question is like, yeah, you, you know, there's for to answer the credit question, it's like really, it's not going to help you to have this. Um, paying it off is not going to hurt you. Uh, and then, secondly, if you do want to always be paying something, which you know, there's something to be said for, you know, it's a small, it's it's a credit utilization is what matters more than anything else. It's basically you have open credit and that you you keep using it, or that you, that it's available to use. Pardon me. Um, you can do something as simple as take the expenses that are normally paid out of your bank account, like your cell phone bill that you can pay through your credit card where they're not charging you extra to do so. And just go pay those bills through your credit card and every month pay off the one credit card bill. Mm -hmm. And then you're still using your credit, you're using it wisely, um, and you're continuing to build your credit. Because what we get to in that next component for you is you want to be able to buy a house in the future. Um, and so one of the things that we want to look at is making sure you have a really good credit score. And one of the ways, the biggest way you can do that is pay all your payments on time. And the next thing is have a good credit utilization. Yeah, exactly. And now that the, the good news here is there's what I'm, a, a relatively small amount on a student loan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this based on the fact that Colby's telling us he's putting money into his 401k, he's contributing to a Roth. Um, he's looking to save up for a home and maybe has money to invest in other things. It's probably a very manageable amount would be my guess. Mm-hmm. So that's where it comes down to, like you're saying, what's going to make you feel better. Um, if it's me, I'm probably paying it off just because I don't want to spread my money out to too many different things. I want to attack one thing at a time. Yep. If it's you, as you're talking about, hey, you're going to look at the numbers and see what makes most sense and and do that. So yeah, we do what kind of aligns best with that. Uh, there's another caveat, which I'm not a fan of trying to predict the future, but with the new administration, there's been a lot of talk and chatter about would there be a potential for loan forgiveness for a certain dollar amount for specific types of people. I don't know if Colby, you'd fit into that mold if these are private loans or public loans, but um, that might be a reason not to go 
pay this off really quickly if a windfall could come through the federal government in some manner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not going to predict the future though. Predict it. We'll I don't if you're right. I don't think it'll happen. Go on record. Okay. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> I think a lot of people want it to happen, but I don't know that it actually will. Not knowing it. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. Scott Frank says. That's right. Uh, second part of Colby's question. So after the student loan part of this, uh, second part was my company matches my 401k contributions. It looks like they match 4%. Woo-hoo. And I recently started contributing to a Roth through Betterment. For a 26-year-old trying to save up for a home eventually, is it wise to start investing in other mutual funds slash stocks slash et cetera? Any info in general investing is appreciated. Yeah. Great. Uh, so a couple things with this. Episode 93, I believe it was, called Should I Front Load Retirement Accounts When I'm Young? Mm-hmm. There's some huge benefits to putting a lot of money into Roth IRAs, 401ks, other retirement accounts. Yep. Really in any account when you're young. Yep. Because by the time that you're 50 or 60 or 70 or whatever it is, so much more of the final balance that you'll have is going to be money that came from growth on your money. Less is having to come from your own contributions. Yes. So that's just the power of compounding interest. It, it, it makes a ton of sense to put money into investments when you're young. Mm-hmm. Now we want to balance that with other priorities and other goals and other things that we're looking to save for. Yes. So you tell me, Scott, how you're interpreting this, but when he says for a 26 year old trying to save up for a home, eventually, is it wise to start investing in other mutual funds or stocks? I'm not sure if that's saying, and we'll, we'll address both sides of it, but is that saying that, is it wise to invest in stocks to save for my home or is it wise to invest in stocks along with my Roth and 401k while saving for a home on the side? I read it as you're going to save into the stock market to build money for a home purchase eventually. Great. That's how I'm reading it. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So kudos, first of all, on being able to pay off your debt and to save for retirement already. Um, great work. Uh, and and saving the way that you are. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, the thing that I would look at is so, and what you're getting at, we looked at it in the always be uh, sorry, the the episode on front, front loading retirement versus paying for other things. There is a prioritization that we always have to make, right? So what percentage do you want to be saving toward retirement? And then what percentage do you want to save toward a down payment? Um, and then the next question to look at would be, well, what percentage of the percentage you're going to save for a down payment? How do you want to treat that money? How risky do you want to be with those funds? Because the stock market is a risk and reward business. You do not get the reward without taking the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, the stock market's a place where you can make a tremendous amount of grow wealth over long periods of time, but the market is also a great place where they you're, you get tested all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, we, well, we got tested a bit last year with the pullback in March, but we really haven't been tested that heavily for a while. And what I mean by that is when we have stock market pullbacks or bear market cycles, where the stock market kind of gets the pull, the rug gets pulled from under us basically. Um, and you'll see drawdowns in the market. When we get used to watching stocks go up all the time, we kind of forget about that. And one of the things you want to be really mindful of is anytime you're saving money for a nearer term goal, you have to understand what the potential consequences are of investing. Mm-hmm. I fully agree. One of the first books I read about stock investing was called Stocks for the Long Run. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy Siegel, and it's all about the fact that over any given 20 plus year time period, stocks are one of the safest things you can do, yeah. at least historically speaking. Right. There's never been a 20 year time period where you haven't made 
not just money, but a pretty significant amount of money right. invest in the stock market. And so over the long run, stocks can be wonderful. The risk and the challenge isn't in the long run, it's in the short run. Mm-hmm. It's depending on Colby's time frame as he's looking to buy a home. Right. If you're looking to buy a home in 20 years, yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer. Sure. Put that money to work for you, let the stock market carry you, let yeah. it grow your money, and then buy a house. If you're looking to buy a home in 20 days, uh, yeah. it's a lot more risky yeah. at that point. So yeah. we we used the example in a previous episode, and I, I, I forget the numbers exactly, but it was something along the lines of, just the hypothetical of Scott, I'm going to give you an investment. Mm-hmm. Tell me which one you're going to choose. Okay? Mm-hmm. Investment one goes up in value 52% of the time. Mm-hmm. Investment number two goes up in value 73% of the time. Mm-hmm. Investment three, it goes up in value 85% of the time. And investment four goes up in value 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. I say, Stop, Scott, which investment do you want? Right. And it's, well, I want investment four. I want the thing that goes up in value 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. And what, what we came, came back to was it, it's, those are all the same exact investment. Yes. That's all an investment in the S&P 500 and your odds of making money on it. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's different is the time frame that we're looking at. Right. One is over a day when you, the stock market returns over a day. One is over a year. One is over five years and one's over 15 years, I believe. Right. So that's where it comes back to, Colby, how long do you have until you make this home purchase? Yep. Because that's probably going to be one of the major driving factors, along with just comfort level with risk and flexibility around when, the timing of this. Right. That would give us the info we needed to, to provide a specific recommendation. Yeah. If you were talking to us kind of in our office type of a thing. Yeah. The, the, so, and that's such a great point, right? It's the time in the markets is what grows wealth timing the markets does not grow wealth um and the point that you're making is it's it's really comes down to if you if you can stick with it long enough you're going to be fine it's when we get to those shorter time frames that the probabilities you don't you know even though you know over 50% of the time on a daily basis the stock market goes up well you're almost back to a coin flip of does it go up or down on a daily basis that's not really a bet you want to make with your down payment on your house no. right especially when drawdowns can be really big so but that's just, that is one component, the ways that you can, so obviously the safest place you could put money is just put it in cash, but then it doesn't return anything for you. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, when I, when, I mean, my, from my own point of view, if you're planning on buying something in a very shorter, short period of time, 18 months or less, I think having money in cash makes the most sense personally, mm-hmm. but I'm in a sense, I guess, going to say a bit risk averse there, right? I don't want to go put my money up for risk. Because I don't know what the market's going to do in the next 18 months. Right. Right. Um, you know, one example would be at the top of the 2000, if, if I, if you had money in the S&P 500 at the top of the last bull market, which ended in 2007, and then you, you just held it until the trough in, in March of 09, how much do you think the market went down? A lot. 50 something, 56%. And went down about 53%, I mm-hmm. think was the actual number for the S&P 500. So, so you're holding 100 grand and now you have 47. Mm-hmm. And that was your down payment. Yeah. Well, that's a problem, right? So one, one of the things now, obviously I'm, you're, you're, I'm perfectly timing investing at the top and, yeah, and, perfectly and, worst and needing investor. it at the bottom. That's the worst case scenario, right? But one of the things you can do to de-risk quickly is you can just change your asset allocation. If you do want to take risk in the markets, you can choose to take less risk in the markets. 
a more conservative portfolio, like a 60-40 allocation, I think was down something like 27% over the same period of time, mm -hmm. right? It was still down, but it wasn't down nearly as much. And so a lot of this just has to do with you being able to stomach the amount of drawdown that can happen in a stock market. Yeah, it, absolutely. Um, and I would say another factor is how much can you save on a monthly basis? Mm -hmm. Because if, you know, if, if, if let's say Colby has $10,000, so he's going to invest for a home purchase. Yep. But he can save, I'm going to make a pretty 5,000 per month. Kind of extreme. I did probably for most people. That's that'd be a, a lot, lot of money a month, 60 grand a year. And he, I'm using an extreme example because of this. Let's say he's saying, should I put that $10,000 to work? We say, oh, well, what if the stock market takes that 10,000 to 6,000 in a really bad year? Well, he's at a point where he's not so dependent upon the stock market because those $5,000 of monthly contributions could more than make up whatever mm -hmm. the downturn on the stock market would do. Yeah. So that is another factor. I know I'm using an extreme example here, but one way I like to look at it is not just what what is the current capital that you have and what would the stock market do to it, but how long would it take to replace what the stock market could potentially wipe out in a relatively short period of time? Mm-hmm. The less you're able to save on a monthly basis, the more you're dependent upon your initial money or your initial capital growing for you. Mm -hmm. The more you're able to save on a monthly basis, the less that matters, at least in the beginning, because with the thing that you can control, which is your savings rate, you can make up a piece of that. Yep. So there's just so many factors that, that go into this in terms of how much do you need for a home? What's the time horizon for a home? How much can you save on a monthly basis? What's your personal uh, risk preference or risk tolerance with this? That is it wise to start saving in other mutual funds and stocks to, to Colby's question? Maybe, but maybe not, depending on some of those factors. It's understanding how does that fit in the grand scheme of things yeah. for him. Yeah, time time horizon is really going to matter. The amount of risk you're willing to stomach is going to matter. The amount of principle that you're starting with, I fully agree with that. And honestly, the other thing is like, you know, stock markets do have growth cycles and they do have pullback cycles. And so, you know, if I want to invest for buying a house. 10 years from now, I'm probably way more excited to go invest in the stock market mm -hmm. than I am if I'm going to buy it in the next year and a half. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually, in a sense, I'm kind of rooting for the stock market to fall yeah. while I'm putting my money in every single month. Because it's very similar to investing for like your 401k contribution or something like that. Like some people will get, you know, almost scared or they'll watch their net worth go down. But if you're not pulling it out of the markets yet, if you're not using these funds right now and the stock market tanks, it's a time to get excited, not a time to be sad because you just got to go buy everything at a discount. Fully agree. So you give it, it gets a chance to come back. That's, that's not a bad thing. It can be a good thing. I fully agree. Fully agree. So yeah, th those are all different factors that go into this. Uh, if we could only predict where the stock market was going to go, we could give people up. If we could predict where the stock market was going to go, we this wouldn't podcast have this podcast. Be so much easier. We would be able <laughs> to tell everyone what to do. <laughs> I'd be on a yacht surfing around the world if I could predict that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I. One other thing I'll add to this, you know, he's saying any other info in general investing is appreciated. We did kind of a better investor series and in episode number 72 back in November was all about asset allocation. So when it's coming to investing, we're we're using examples here, just looking at the U.S. stock market, right? And, and that's kind of a, a good starting point. But if you are going to invest, because let's say he does have a decent enough time horizon and, and, and is wanting to do this, how do you split that up between stocks and bonds and different types of stocks and different types of bonds? So mm -hmm. go back to some of those episodes if you want to learn a little bit more in depth on the actual asset allocation part or how to invest part. But this is a good way of thinking about should you even invest. 
before he jumped into that. Yeah, that'd be a good place to go. I mean, you know, the brief, the, the short answer to that is diversification is the one free lunch that you can probably give yourself in a stock market. Um, but by doing that, by, by, by diversifying, you're learning to say you're sorry to yourself. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to say like, you're not going to say that like US large cap stocks are going to win every year. Mm-hmm. But by doing that, usually you end up being better off over the long run because you do get to reap the rewards of returns of the global market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, anything else that we haven't covered yet or that you want to add to this? No, I think that's good. Keep the questions coming. Yes. Thank you, Colby, for your question. Thank you, everyone, for the questions you've been submitting and the reviews you've been submitting. We always enjoy reading those. We review all of those or read all of those. And we will see you all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.